Hello, and welcome to our webinar program for and about financial advisors. I'm your host, Dave Polis, and I'm excited to bring you the second in a series of special episodes that focus on how advisors can take control of their practice, work more closely with the right clients, give them better information, and drive their practice towards higher profitability and greater success. This episode offers some insights that might feel a little different than other podcasts you've listened to in the past, especially recently. While bear markets can be a lot of work, they also create some of the best opportunities to grow. Some clients will leave their advisors due to poor communication or poor performance or just fear, but do-it-yourselfers often realize in all the turmoil, they need professional help. Now may be the best time to consider right-sizing your client list. In other words, letting go of your most difficult clients and replacing them with new, less stressful ones that appreciate your efforts. What's the best approach to starting a right-sizing program? We're gonna find out. Our guest today, and for many of these episodes in this series, is John Hill, CEO of Pinnacle Advisory Group and Pinnacle Advisor Solutions. Today, we're gonna to address the questions surrounding what to do with some of those needy clients who take up a lot of time and aren't necessarily the most enriching or profitable. John, you've been dealing with both clients and advisors for a long time. Is this issue of needy clients a recent challenge having to do with entitled millennials, or have there always been needy clients in the advisory industry? David, I think it's uh, part and parcel to what we do. It's, uh, it's called being a human being. <laughs> we have different people, uh, personalities, uh, and we have to work with them in many different ways. Uh, we're fortunate in, in many cases in that the reason that people come to firms like ours uh, is that they are really looking for people uh, that they may delegate their responsibilities to uh, around the whole financial planning concept, managing assets, et cetera. So to start out with, we have a subset of people that are generally inclined to, um, if you will, be less needy that way. Once they are comfortable with you, that's important. I think the, the key issue there is that they have to develop a sense of trust and comfort. Um, and even with those that are, that are what we would call perhaps needy, uh, which may, by the way, be less than 10% of the entire group, probably more like 5%, quite frankly. Um, even there, we have to be careful that we don't make judgment calls too quickly uh, when we begin these relationships. Uh, but the reality is that uh, people that uh, need um, closer attention and want your attention more frequently, um, and they've existed since I've been in the business for decades right now, certainly. Uh, I think the key is how do you work with them um, effectively? Now, what's the best way to deal with somebody who requires more of your time, uh, energy, and perhaps even emotional effort uh, than uh, may or may not be worth it at the, uh, the end of all of this. They've been around them. They've been around. Yeah. One of the key components of building a niche practice that we've espoused on this program is selecting and working with clients you really like and can unselfishly serve. How do these whiny clients get into the typical practice to start with? Where do they come from? Well, I think we have to go all the way back to the beginning of practices. All right? When I started with uh, Ken and Dwight, when we started our practice, the reality is that we needed revenue. We needed clients to serve. We wanted to do our job. And so from that point forward, uh, particularly initially, uh, you end up uh, bringing just about everybody on board that you can. So you're not very selective about whether somebody appears needy. Um, you're, you're not even selective. Uh, initially about, uh, you know, whether they're, they're nice to spend time with. Uh, you get to be more selective around those issues later on as you develop some degree of success. 
but early on, you know, quite frankly, um, you, you have, to get, uh, have to get things rolling along. And so you end up probably taking people um, that might not be a perfect fit for you or for the firm. And at some point, as we're gonna discuss through this conversation, um, one needs to make a determination as to whether that particular individual, one that would be considered needy or, or difficult to work with, um, is, is worth the time, uh, as I said earlier, and energy to, to, to put into them. But that's, you know, we, that's the, those are the circumstances that would exist around what I would define as, as whiny or needy clients and why you end up taking them. You take them because you have to take them initially. You just simply got to get things flowing along. So. It's out of necessity, really. They've been in there. Now, it, let's, let's get this down because in order to be more selective later on in your career, we have to develop some criteria. In your mind, what are the key characteristics of a needy client? Well, I, I think um, you, know, you find those, unfortunately, I wish I could say we'd nail them all right when we, we sit in our prospect discussion. Um, it would be perfect if we could identify um, somebody right off the bat you know, as to whether or not they're going to be needy. But I, I do think that you can identify in the early on conversations um, how demanding somebody may be. Uh, and some of it is inherent. You just kind of get a feel for uh, personality types. Uh, but in general, I think that, that during that first discussion, you can begin to probe a client carefully, find out whether or not they are fully prepared to delegate, because that has a lot to do with it. I think people that tend to be needy are, are reluctant delegators. You know, they end up and one part of them wants to delegate and let you do it, but the other part still wants to have a hand in, in, the, in the kitchen making things. And so you can test on a few of those issues up front uh, just to, to make sure that the client is prepared uh, to let you make with them, of course, uh, decisions that are important for their financial future. So a part of it, uh, I'd like to say there was magic, but part of it is, is intuitive uh, when you're asking people questions about even the fact that if they're prepared, um, to and to delegate, you know, are they would they define themselves as people that are anxious to to have help uh, on issues? Uh, I used to, it was so fun. I, I had a few questions I would use carefully about whether or not uh, you know somebody fixed their own stuff anymore. Uh, this is always interesting with doctors because I would uh, initially when they and they uh, uh, they may not relinquish control as easily in some cases, but. Uh, I, I'd like to find out, you know, are you a person, I can ask somebody, are you a person that likes to have somebody else do things, you know, change, when I was young, change oil in my car, did I do that? Yeah, I did it because I didn't have any money. Uh, but the reality is at some point along the way, you begin to delegate out certain things. Uh, and I think if you test the client up front about delegation, it's not going to eliminate uh, the concept of somebody being needy. Uh, but there are ways that you can begin to isolate um, you know, whether or not you think that person uh, might end up being a more demanding person. So, and by the way, that's not a bad thing in the beginning. I think it's really important. You have to understand part of what we do um, is, is earning their trust and they have the right to ask us uh, all the questions they want to in, in the beginning of their relationship. Uh, and any, at that point, at any point forward, they, they, they do as well. Uh, but the issue is that we have to feel um, that they are prepared for the experience that we're going to have together. It's a matter of earning. Are they prepared to, to, to earn your trust? You know, can they, can uh, you earn their trust, more importantly? So we have to set the stage appropriately and then earn that trust that if they learn to let us do our jobs. 
Yes. Now, this is, I want to reiterate, this is a very small minority of most people's practices. You, you mentioned is. percentages, maybe five, less than 10. Right. What kind of dynamic can these small but vocal minority clients set up within your practice? And what impact might that have on service levels overall? Can it bleed over into the other clients? It can be pretty difficult, quite frankly. I mean, those, those you know, 3% or whatever percent, very small percentage clients um, can end up occupying a lot of emotional energy on your part. Um, they Typically, those clients are going to be reaching out to you a lot more often in times of stress like we're experiencing right now. They're going to be the first on the phone, uh, and they're not only going to be the first on the phone, they're going to be on the phone like every other day. Um, and that's when you go to sort of go from uh, not needy to is this real? Can we deal with this? Is it, is it valuable to have this person if they're going to be on the phone with me all the time? So there's a there's a transition that uh, allows them to uh, or doesn't allow them, but but they actually move into a space where they're taking up a lot more of, of your time and and the pressure and the emotional impact can be very severe. Uh, I remember during 2008 when the market had its last major adjustment, um, we I had a handful of people that were consistently needed to be talked off the ledge. You know, every day was a crisis, and they were watching CNBC all day long and and the first thing I told them was to shut the Dagon TV off and stop watching it. But the reality is that after, after a, a several days of that, um, you asked about emotional and what impact it has. I mean, it can really beat up one's soul, you know, to, to be in these phone conversations. And the problem, the biggest challenge I had with it was that um, they would ask the same questions day in, day out, you know, and I'd give them the same answer day in, day out. And at some point, you know, you just simply have to have a, a real heart-to-heart -heart discussion with them about the value uh, of, of these conversations. But yeah, it, can, it, it costs time, it costs money, it costs uh, emotional energy, um, all those things that allow you to be less effective with the balance of your client base. Uh, and that's the key thing. When it starts stepping over the line and it impacts um, your, your persona um, and impacts the way you work with other people, um, then, then it's then it's got to be looked at um, as perhaps having to come to an end, you know. And that's the discussion we're going to have in a bit here. Now, you mentioned uh, emotional energy. Uh, how can advisors who are in this position prepare themselves mentally and/or physically to handle this kind of, of emotional draw? Are there tips or tricks you can pass along to the audience that maybe help them get in the right frame of mind to handle all this stuff? There are a few. And probably the most important thing is to, as you just said, is to be prepared. These conversations will happen. You will get people that will be needy. They'll call you up. Um, and I often uh, would say it's important to let the other person talk initially. Uh, let them um, describe what their concerns are. Review it with them. Throw it back in their court. What is it, again, let's talk about what the ultimate concern is you have about X, Y, Z, what the markets or what it's going to do to you. What's the ultimately you're you're in touch with me because these things are first and foremost in your mind. Is it fear of not being able to accomplish your goals? Uh, what is it that's really uh, moving you to to uh, feel this anxious about the situation that you need to be in touch? So I th the best thing to do is to be have a, have a series of questions uh, for that particular client. Let them talk. Let them vent. Realize that in most cases it's absolutely not personal. That's the challenge we have. The big challenge with this is that we really like our clients. We really like what we do. 
Uh, most of us are, 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 are fairly empathetic people or we wouldn't be in this business, most of us. And so, you know, we, we tend to let some of these things affect us personally. So I think that you need to realize that you got to take a step back and do your very best not to take this personally. I would have to consistently remind myself, look, put yourself in their shoes. They're anxious. They're concerned. Their personality type is that they need immediate feedback. They need to know that you love them. Uh, I mean, half the battle with all of this is them, particularly this group that calls a lot, is them being needing to know that you're there for them. This is a this is just a place that confirms that you're here, you exist, you're on it, you care. They need to have this. This is a personality type that needs to have reinforcement. And that reinforcement in most cases is just talking to you as a human being and just having it. So I think if you go into these meetings, understanding first, make sure there's clarification on what their real concerns are. You let them talk. Don't just spiel and feel like you got to answer questions right out the backs. Turn their questions into questions back to them. If this is, you know, why is my performance so terrible? I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to, you know, then say, well, let's let's get a little deeper into that and figure out, do I have something that can help you feel more comfortable? Can I provide you with information, support uh, that will make you feel more comfortable through this process? Or ask them, what is it I can provide you? What are the most important things to you to hear from me during these conversations that will allow you to be more peaceful and less anxious about the conversation. And, and then at some point, you know, if this goes on long enough, there's time for a candid conversation um, and really letting them know that um, you have had this conversation with them and, um, and that we need to make sure that we figure out uh, how not to have them with the degree of frequency uh, that we have. We've got to be able to do this. So it's a little bit of a, uh, it's come to reckoning time, you know, if this is bad enough um, through the process. Okay. That level of emotional pull uh, makes referring these needy clients out sound terrific from an emotional standpoint. But what about the economic impact of the loss of these clients? If you have to send these on, what is that going to do to your practice? How does that impact you? Well, obviously, it's, it's extremely dependent upon, you know, how big is this particular client uh, that's your needy client? Um, it, it, it's very easy for me to make a blanket statement that says, look, if they're needy and they're uh, nuisance needy, and that's the difference, um, then, uh, you know, let's just move them off the table. You know, let's find somebody else for them. The real world doesn't work quite that simply uh, because I can have a client that's a relatively smaller client. And uh, whether this is conscious or subconscious, I can't tell you, but I can have a smaller client that will be very easy for me to jettison. And I can be very bold in the conversation with that client. And I can you know, play a little poker and, and say, look, if you're not willing to work according to the rules here, um, and I wouldn't put it that way, but if you weren't, you know, then maybe we can't have an ongoing relationship and we need to find somebody you're more comfortable with. It's really easy to be bold with a smaller client. Now, put the client in front of me that's paying us you know, 20, 20 grand a year for a fee to take care of their two and a half million dollar portfolio. And, and that's a lot harder, all right? And you need to... So, the, the, the revenue impact, honestly, you need to look at the client beforehand. Is it going to have a dramatic impact? How can you be as practical as possible in this conversation? And candidly, the, the person has to be a lot more difficult if they're the second guy I talked about. You know, if they're the, if they're the, the, the client that's got two and a half million dollars with us versus the client that's got five or six hundred thousand dollars with us. Um, and so we can say it doesn't matter, but it does. 
But the key thing is before you jettison anybody, unless it's just so painful you can't live with it, you have to understand the economic circumstances and be prepared. Now, the flip side of that is when that person um, is uh, moved off campus, um, you, you may, in fact, realize an enormous uh, amount of additional emotional energy. You may find that you've just taken yourself out of a funk, you know, that this person has created. Uh, every time you talk with them, you know, for the next hour, you feel like you got smacked. And uh, so you're ready to, you know, take a break. And all of a sudden, with them not in the picture anymore, you, you're not dealing with that. And if they're calling you every day during a difficult situation, and, and you're dealing with an hour of recovery from these calls every day, and it doesn't take a whole lot of that time to, to improve your productivity and skills in other areas and make life a whole lot more enjoyable, quite frankly. So uh, yeah, you've got to take a look at that entire picture. Those hours add up, and the bigger the client, the more hours you sort of have to weigh against losing them. So that's it's a balancing act. Now, we talked earlier about these challenging times being particularly good to be thinking about this kind of stuff. What makes these circumstances favorable to easing out some of these needy clients? Why now? What it does is it brings to the surface perhaps um, some clients that in fact may uh, be better off with somebody else. You may be in a situation where um, this does put a great deal of fear fairly uh, in people. Um, it creates or surfaces anxiety in folks. Um, and, and, you know, I think this provides us with a great education um, with many of our clients. That's why I would always be in favor of making sure that we are the outbound callers at the beginning of a situation like this, that we reach out to these clients and we get them in discussion prior to them calling us. But the reality is this, this sometimes, unfortunately, surfaces people that, um, you know, can, can be very uh, difficult uh, to work with. Um, and there's a fine line between that and doing the best job you can with that and crossing over to a place where it's destructive. Um, when it becomes destructive and you know you can't tolerate this anymore, it's time to make the change. Um, a circumstance like this or OA or one-offs that really create challenges, they just simply bring to the surface um, these situations. And you may find things about people that you didn't know, particularly newer clients. Um, you get to see what how they act in the situation. And believe me, I'm, we're not, I'm not saying everybody should just dodge any difficult situation. Absolutely not. You know, we get paid to do a great job, educate, communicate well with our clients and to get them comfortable. That's part of our deal. You know, we are, we're shrinks to some degree. We need to have an understanding. So you can't avoid that. It's, it's crossing the line that we're talking about today. It's going from our, our obligations as a great planner, advisor, supporter um, to a place where uh, somebody pushes past that, um, and that's you know that's the challenge all the way around the board. This identifies those folks that may, particularly newer ones that you haven't had this experience with before. You know that um, you may learn some things about some people you you might not want to know. So, are you an RIA or financial advisor looking to grow and scale your practice, but feel like you could use some help? Feel like there are lots of growth options out there but don't have time to research them and don't want to make an expensive mistake? Want to spend more time helping clients instead of time-consuming investment research, compliance checks, or transactional work? If you answered yes to any of these, Pinnacle Advisor Solutions has the answers you need. With a range of outsourced options and top-rated professional investment management and financial planning support, 
Pinnacle has a solution that fits your needs, budget, and circumstances to help you scale up, grow your practice, or put a succession plan in place. For more information or to set up an appointment, call 201-919-4838. You mentioned that, that this will build to a point where you need to have a specific conversation. Uh, this is going to be difficult. Is, is there a, a set of tips or tricks you can use to, to get ready for that kind of conversation and break the ice and introduce this topic really effectively or the things they can think of to get them where they need to be? Well, I, I have um, attempted to use an emotional uh, approach. I've become, I've attempted to become uh, more emotional, more human in this conversation with the client uh, to where if it was really um, a difficult situation, I would kind of throw it all out on the table and simply say, you know, I, is it okay if I'm 100% honest and share something with you that's that's really been been a little bit painful for me personally? Uh, and the client will probably stop in their tracks and say, yeah, what is it? And then that's your opportunity to open up and and share your emotions and really be honest about the 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 pain and the challenges you feel and the conversations you're having with the client. Um, let them know that. Um, and I mean, I actually have told a person over the years, one that was on the phone that, you know, when I get off the phone with you after trying to help you in every way I can, and I, and I don't feel like we're making progress on it. Um, I mean, I, it takes me, takes me a while to gain back my, my, my energy. You know, it really, it really hurts. And particularly when, you know, when we get into issues that uh, we've talked about many times before, and I felt I've done my best to help you understand that. Um, you know, I, I lay it out on the line for the client that it crosses into a line of, of me feeling uh, sad, personally challenged, uh, or I'm not being successful or I'm not doing a good job. Uh, I accept that burden. That's the way I do that. But, but with the client, I'll tell them, you know, it's just, you know, maybe it's me. I'm just not um, doing this the right way with you or I don't understand your questions clearly. But I sort of accept that. But whatever it is, it makes me feel it hurts me. You know, and so I'm throwing it all out on the table. You know, I'm getting into this emotional side. Now, there are some clients you're not going to do that with. You know, they're your hard-boiled engineers, whatever. They're going to say, are you kidding? But the reality is that the vast majority of human beings that I've run into, even if they don't show it, there is an emotional side. They feel it. They, there's a, there, you can get beyond the surface and get into a real human being. And if you have conversations with them that are open, candid about feelings, about the way you know they make you feel, um, you might be surprised because I can tell you that I had several of those, and all of a sudden um, there was a substantial change. As soon as they knew they crossed a line that was hurting my feelings or getting into my personal space or making me feel uh, less good about my job and what I do for them, it was remarkable. I mean, I had a number of people that backpedaled on me and said, "I had no idea I was." doing that. I'm so sorry. I love you guys. You've done a great job for me. You know, I wouldn't know what to do without you. You know, and that never would have happened if I didn't just get to an emotional level when we're around the same playing field. Not going to work for everybody, but I'll tell you, I believe with all my heart that most people beyond the surface, even the bad guys, even the rough ones, um, have got on. And, and if you're open and understand and share with them candidly, you have a pretty good chance of, um, of an effective uh, outcome in this circumstance. And if you don't have that outcome, 
that's where you get to where we talked about earlier. That's where you have to even say to the client, you know, I can't continue to feel this disrupted emotionally about our relationship. And so maybe it would be better off if you uh, did go, if I found you another advisor uh, to go with. And you're going to have a pretty good portion that are going to say, no, 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 no. You push their button. That's all they needed to hear. And then you're going to have some that are going to say, hey, might be right. And clearly, if they say that, they would have been thinking that anyway. And it's time to move those folks off the table. That's it. Yeah. So now we've had that really tough conversation that you just described, yeah. uh, made the decision that they need to be elsewhere, thin right. the herd a little bit in our book. Right. What's the move now to rebuild and replace those clients going forward? How do we go well, back? In reality, you should be in constant business development mode anyway, if you want your practice to be at the most successful level. So um, what it simply means is you're stepping up what you're already doing. Right? Theoretically, you know, by offloading a challenging client, you have, as we have said, um, you know, taken off a, an emotional burden. Uh, you have more time. You have more energy. Um, you should be excited about going out and trying to replace that client uh, with somebody who uh, you feel is a better fit, somebody who you like. We didn't talk about that earlier, but the reality, we always talk about in Pinnacle that we, we want to we have clients come on board that we like. You know, we want to like our clients. We want to enjoy it. We want to have a good relationship. This is a partnership. Uh, it needs to be uh, at a very comfortable level for everybody. So you have an opportunity to go out and stay positive about, um, about finding more people that you're happy serving. Um, and I do believe that, that I've experienced that myself on the very few times where I've offloaded a few folks, and it hasn't been many, um, I found that I was, it was like a burden off my back. And it was very easy to go out and, and um, add a little zest to the business development program. You can't just have them go away and say, okay, done, that's it, back to business as usual. Um, you need, quite frankly, I would have that in my mind a little bit beforehand before I actually, quote unquote, fire a client. I would want to know, okay, am I in a place? Am I well prepared? Am I developing enough business contacts? Am I working? Am I prospecting at the right level to fill in the void that this particular client will leave from a financial standpoint? So now we've gone down this road. We've offloaded the needy ones. We've found some new ones. We're energized. We're ready to go. What does the outcome look like maybe a year or two down the road after you've gone through this transformational period? And how long might it take to really get there? Well, that's a great question. Um, it's going to vary by everybody, of course. And, and most, mostly it's going to vary by the energy you put into it. That's the key thing. You know, if you don't do anything, don't expect anything. But, you know, what will happen is those clients that, that uh, we moved off the plate, um, I can tell you that as I look back, it was a great move. It was a really good, there was an, I don't think there's one of them, and there weren't many, by the way, but I don't think there's one that, um, quite frankly, I didn't feel uh, it was good for them not to be in the book anymore. I did not miss uh, the, you know, the, the badgering or the calls. That sounds awfully harsh, but I mean, the reality is that um, some of them did. You know, they, it was just exhausting. And I found that having that energy back, but believe me, I just simply didn't miss them. And they shouldn't have been a client to begin with in many cases. I wish there was some magic formula you could figure that out on, like we talked about earlier. It's not magic, um, it's intuitive. And, but you know, certainly, wow, once they were gone uh, and I made the decision it was time for them to go, uh, in each situation, it was, it was very appropriate, for sure. 
John, those are terrific insights. Is there anything you want to leave the audience with today before we go? I would just have one, uh, I want to trace back to one concept, and that is that uh, the client's right to be able to be needy uh, early on in the relationship. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in this conversation, everybody who hires us has a right to demand um, outstanding service, full information, excellent planning work. They have the right to demand that. Um, and, and once you've delivered that, um, in the majority of cases, a client is going to develop an enormous sense of trust and, and, and your home free. I like to use the example of engineers. Uh, we all laugh as advisors that engineers can be the most challenging nitpicking people that we've ever worked with. And I have a great case that I love, and I love these folks dearly. I've known them for decades. And when they first came on board, he, he's an engineer. Uh, and when he first came on board, I have never experienced anybody that was more um, into the details of anything we did to the point of almost being silly. Uh, we Planning is projection work. It's not pure science. It's not a tax return. You know, we have to allow for variability and flexibility and changes. And this particular person was not used to that. And so they wanted every detail and in the most granular fashion. And it really, it was brutal. Uh, but I got to tell you something, that once we worked through that and delivered and took care of their neediness in the beginning, in the beginning, that client became one of the most faithful, trusting clients of anybody I've ever worked with. And they're dear friends to this day and clients. And they, they don't even, it's, I had to drag them kicking and screaming just to review the portfolio after uh, we developed that, that level of trust. So my closing point would be that, yes, be very careful, uh, evaluate your people that are uh, demanding to a, an unreasonable level, uh, but be aware that it's our job to serve uh, needy folks and to earn their trust in the beginning. And at some point, uh, you do a great job. I'm willing to bet that uh, they too will trust you um, with everything they have. And that's what we are responsible. Terrific insights and a wonderful example for advisors out there to really dig in and understand where their clients are coming from. Thank you, John, for joining us today. You're welcome, David. We've been speaking with John Hill, CEO of Pinnacle Advisory Group and Pinnacle Advisor Solutions, about how to handle critical conversations with clients in times of financial turbulence. If you have questions about how to handle client interactions, drop us a line at advisors at pinnacleadvisory.com or make an appointment to speak with a representative at Pinnacle Advisor Solutions about how they can help you scale and grow. Call 201-919-4838 and make an appointment today. Be sure to revisit Pinnacle Advisor Solutions website and don't miss the upcoming episode, What's Coming Next in the Financial Markets. Until next time, thanks for listening. You're listening to Four Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. This program is for educational purposes only, and the opinions expressed here by guests do not necessarily fully or accurately reflect the legal intent or nature of Pinnacle Advisor Solutions, Pinnacle Advisory Group, or its senior management. This program is not intended to give legal, investment, or financial planning advice, and opinions and statements made in this podcast should not be relied on as such. 